We open the scriptures together and turn once more to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read the chapter together and in our series we are up to verse 7, which will be the text this evening. So let us read the chapter together. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Once again, I call your attention to verse 7 where the subject is charity, love. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Beloved in the Lord, with verse 7, the Holy Spirit applies the last final brush strokes to the canvas and the full portrait of Christian life, Christian love, appears before our eyes. With verse 7, we come to the conclusion of the Apostles' list of the facial features of love or list of various actions and attitudes that manifest the nature of true Christian love. And the finishing touches on this portrait are these four positive statements of our text. Love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Love hopeth all things. Love endureth all things. And that brings now the Bible's description of Christian love here to its climax. Here we see what love looks like in all of its spiritual beauty. 
And as we come to this last part of the description of love, we want to notice that the unifying idea of these four positive statements in our text is the strength or the power of love. Even though that word strength, that word power, is not found in the text, that's what's being conveyed by the repetition of the phrase, all things. That shows us the strength, it shows us the power of Christian love. False love, the love of the world, the so-called love of the sinful flesh, which is really self-love and self-seeking, You can't say these four things about that kind of love. Self-love, false love, the world's love may bear a few things, but certainly not all things. May believe a few things, but certainly not all things. Maybe hope in a way for something, but doesn't hope all things. Certainly doesn't endure all things. What the text sets before us here is the, is the strength of true love as it is worked in the heart of the child of God by the Holy Spirit. True love is something that is strong, something that is enduring, something that gets through even the hardest times and hardest things that we go through in this life. The flame of Christian love is not quickly extinguished by a rainy day or by a storm wind. But the flame that is kindled by the Holy Spirit is inextinguishable. It is strong. It is strong. Because the love that is wrought in the heart of the believer by the Spirit is a love that is patterned after the very love of God toward us in Jesus Christ. Which is the strongest love there is. Which is the love that never fails. So let's tonight look at these finishing touches that the inspired apostle puts upon the portrait of love. Our theme is the strength of love. And we're going to have four shorter points in which we walk through each of these statements. Looking at what they mean, how it applies to us, and what it says to us about Christ and his love. Protective. That's the first point. And that word that I've chosen for the first point, protective, indicates that there's a a question about how best to translate the first part of the text. Love beareth all things. That word beareth in the original tongue has two distinct meanings. It's a word that can be used to mean two different things. Translated beareth, it has the idea of bearing up under a weight or being forbearing towards another person, having patience and long-suffering towards them when they wrong me or are difficult to deal with. And in that case, it harkens back to the beginning of verse 4. You remember the very first characteristic of love set forth in verse 4 is that charity suffereth long, is long-suffering. And you remember that that word means love bears long with people who bother us, who wrong us, who are difficult to deal with. Love is patient with others. And that idea recurs here, and that's how our King James translates it. But there is a second meaning to this word beareth. And the second meaning is to cover. 
And I personally favor this interpretation of the word because it adds something new to the passage. It's not simply a repetition of the idea that we find at the beginning of verse 4. The word bear can mean cover. Cover. Something that covers you, hides you beneath it. In fact, this word, beareth, is connected to the Greek word for roof. It's really a verb derived from the word roof. And so that's a picture that we can have in our minds here. Covering as with a roof. And that's where we get the idea of protection. Protective. A roof covers you to give you protection from the, from the wind, from the rain, from the snow, from the hot sun of the summer months. Charity covers like a roof. It hides the beloved beneath itself. It shelters. It protects. It fends off, wards off that which would do harm or cause discomfort to the beloved. That's the idea here. And that's what we're going to concentrate on in the first point. Since we've already looked at how love bears with Other people, we're going to focus here on how love is like a roof that covers and protects. Love is protective. And that fits, again, with the definition of love that we've been operating with throughout this series that love is the committed pursuit of the true good of another person through the giving of self. Love is protective, love is focused on the safety of the person I love, caring for them, even giving of myself for them, to shelter them, to protect them. Love doesn't want harm befalling the beloved. Love is protective. Is protective in its very essence. And so, when the will of God is revealed to us, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Part of that love is protection. Now you might say, how in the world do we protect God? Our love for God is protective, but that doesn't mean that we protect God from harm. God cannot be harmed. We are the creatures who are in need of his protection. But when we speak about a protective love for God, we mean a love that is zealous for the protection and the defense of the glory and the honor of his name. As the children of God, we exercise protective love by defending his name. And certainly striving ourselves not to take the name of our Father in vain. But the focus, as we know in 1 Corinthians 13, is on the second part of the great, or of the two great commandments. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love for the neighbor is love that protects the neighbor by covering the neighbor as with a roof. So now there's, there's three main ideas that I want to draw out here and explain. How does love cover the beloved like a roof covers? Number one, perhaps this biblical idea jumped right into your mind. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love protects the neighbor by covering his sins, his faults, overlooking them. A couple of verses. Proverbs 10, verse 12. 
Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Most well known is 1 Peter 4 verse 8. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. Have fervent, zealous, warm, living love among yourselves. And then the apostle concludes the verse by describing one of the foremost activities of such fervent love. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, as we unpack the idea of covering a multitude of sins, the initial question we need to answer is, what kind of sin does love cover? And we must be clear on that, because the idea is not that absolutely every single sin must be covered or hidden from view. That's not the point. There are some sins which we ought not to cover, and it would be unhealthy and unloving to cover. Such sins would be gross public sins, which give public offense. Crimes which are punishable by the magistrate and ought to be reported to the magistrate. Or such grievous sins that make the perpetrator a potential danger to others in the community or in the body of Christ. Such gross public sins or sins that make the perpetrator a potential danger to others ought not to be hidden, ought not to be covered up, but ought to be made public. And the public exposure of such sins is an act of love. It's an act of love for the sinner that he may be brought to repentance and it's an act of love for the community and for the church family that they may be duly warned. So when the Bible teaches us love covers a multitude of sins, it is not teaching us that absolutely every sin must be kept on the low and not made public. There are some which must be. An outstanding example would be child sexual abuse that ought to be made public. But rather, the text here is talking about private sins. The sins that are not of a gross nature giving public offense, but the everyday faults and failures, sins that we commit against each other. And now, in describing these sins, we're not saying that they're minor sins. Many of the sins we commit against each other are are serious sins that do heart. When we in our marriages lash out in anger towards one another and fling bitter words at one another, those words, though at the moment we might think, this isn't something that's a big deal, I just spoke out in anger, they can do real harm. We mustn't minimize. We're talking about sins that are the everyday, frequent sins that we commit against each other in our relationships, in our homes, husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Love covers that multitude of sins. And what that means is that love does not fixate on those sins so as to hold them against the beloved. Love does not continually dredge them up. Going back to previous verse, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not hold on to those things in order to use them as a club with which to bludgeon the other person when I need leverage against them or when I just want to shame them because I'm upset with them. But love exerts itself to pass over the sins of one of another and to wipe them away With forgiveness. And often this means in our everyday life with one another. 
It means passing over that thing my wife or my husband said. And while it may have rubbed me wrong, it may have been hurtful. In love, I choose to let it be. As it were, I absorb the offense into myself and let love cover it. Let love cover it. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says this, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. And if that transgression is of such a nature that it's, it's hurtful or it's too repeated, it has to be addressed, then I address it in love with humility so that it may be forgiven wiped away and not sit there between us. Love exerts itself to cover a multitude of sins. And now another part of that idea is this, that in covering as a roof, love does not seek to publicize the sins of my beloved. Again, we're talking about those private sins, those sins that are not gross violations of the law or giving public offense or endangering others, but those sins that we commit against each other day in and day out. Love does not seek to publicize them. Love does not seek to get back at the other person to shame them or hurt them by making it broadly known, by going to my friends and complaining about my spouse, by talking about them behind their back. But love covers conceals. Love is not interested in stirring up gossip. Love is interested in keeping that matter between me and my brother, between us, and resolving it between us. Minimizing whatever hurt may be done. Love doesn't broadcast the faults of one another, but covers over. Love covers a multitude of sins. And you see then the strength of love. Our sinful nature wants to do the opposite. Our sinful nature may say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but as soon as you offend me and make me mad, I'm going to turn on you. That's not strength, that's weakness. That's self-love. That's giving in to the desires of the flesh. But Christian love doesn't turn on someone with a growl, with a snarl, with bared teeth, with angry words. But Christian love covers a multitude of sins. Secondly, that love covers, that love is protective means that love seeks to promote the good name of my neighbor, of my brother, as much as I can according to the ninth commandment. A roof shelters those who are beneath it, but a roof, a roof also fends off Harmful things on the outside. Love is also like a shield that fends off hurtful words, hurtful gossip, that shields the name and the good character of my neighbor, my brother, my sister. Love understands the meaning of Proverbs 22 verse 1, which says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Love understands the words of Proverbs 18 verse 8. 
which says, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And so, love, which covers a multitude of sins, covers those sins so as to prevent words of talebearers circulating. And when there are those hurtful words of talebearers, love shields. Love seeks to put those words to arrest. Love defends the loved one against such words. Love is like a roof, like a shield that protects, protects. And so let's make a few applications of this first part of the text to us. Let's think about our love for our loved ones in the various circles of relationships. If we're married, our marriage. If we're parents, our parents. Our extended family, our church family. And on you go in the broader circles. Protective? Covering like a roof? Is that what our love looks like? Do you cover the multitude of your spouse's sins? Or do you find a certain joy ripping on her or ripping on him for them? Love covers. Covers. Love certainly doesn't run off and tell others about my spouse's faults. Love shelters. And now that sheltering, protective love that fends off, that brings a relationship deeper and deeper into good spiritual intimacy. When we protect one another, when the beloved knows that I have her or his good in the forefront of my mind and heart, they can rest in that knowledge. Rest under that sheltering roof of your love for them. What a beautiful idea to apply to marriage, our relationships as husband and wife. We should shelter one another. And now especially there's a word for the husband who is called to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Husbands here, can that describe your love? It must, it ought. That it is like a strong roof that shelters, covers, Protects your God-given wife. Apply it to parenting. All good parents want to provide a roof over the heads of their children. And that physical roof is important, but there's a roof that's far more important than the shingles over them when they go to sleep at night. The most important roof you can put over the heads of your children is the roof of your love. Love that protects them. Love that cherishes them. Love that leads them to Christ. Love that exemplifies in the way that you treat them, in the way that you parent them, the way that you discipline them, exemplifies Christ. Love that conveys the gospel. That is above all most important. And that's the roof under which our children will flourish. The fanciest physical roof of a mansion will do no good without the roof of protective love. 
brothers, sister, friend? Are we protective of one another in the body of Christ such that we make a concerted effort to seek one another's good? How do we handle one another's faults in the community of faith? Covering or publicizing? Do our social media posts exhibit protective love that covers a multitude of sins? Do our conversations in our circles exhibit that sort of love? The text presses this question upon our hearts, does it not? Children, young people, you're out of school. When you're at school, or when you're out with others, and you hear an embarrassing story about one of your classmates, what do you do with it? Do you cover it with love? Or do you go and tell a bunch of other people? Love covers. Love protects. Let that be the love that we have for one another. Because, beloved, that's the love Jesus Christ has for us. This is the portrait of Jesus Christ. And that's where this first part of the text ultimately points us to Christ. His love was the perfect protecting love. And Jesus' love protects us by covering us, does it not? Covering us with the most important and most protective roof that there is. The roof of his shed blood. A roof that is strong to bear away our sins. A roof that is strong to deflect, to fend off, you might say, the holy wrath of God which otherwise should consume us. Jesus is our Passover And the shedding of his blood as the Lamb of God has caused the wrath, the punishment that our sins deserve to pass over us for Christ's sake. In the words now of Proverbs 19 verse 11, it is God's glory to pass over your transgressions. Jesus' love covers the multitude of your sins in the sight of God. So that as we heard this morning, in the sight of God... You are clothed in the very innocence of Jesus Christ. That protective love of Christ throws a cloak of silence over the accusations of your conscience and stills those accusations. What a covering. What a shelter that we have under the love of Christ. And if Christ has so done that for us and now has worked in our hearts a love Fashioned after his own love, let us go and do likewise one with another. Strength of love comes out in its protectiveness, but the strength of love also comes out in this, that love believeth all things. We come to the second part of the text. And the basic idea of the second part of the text, love believeth all things, is this. Love is trusting. Love is trusting. Now, when we read, love believeth all things, we must understand this does not mean that true love is naive, true love is foolish, that it uncritically believes absolutely everything it sees or hears. That would violate what Scripture says elsewhere. For example, Proverbs 14, verse 15. Proverbs 14, verse 15, the simple, there the word simple means one who is unwise or has little understanding, 
The simple believeth every word. That's not a good thing. But the prudent man looketh well to his going. The one who has true spiritual wisdom is going to look well to his going. He's going to exercise discernment. And that fits with the verse that immediately comes before our text that we looked at last week. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 which says, Love rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. That means love is discerning. Love discerns the truth from falsehood. Love discerns righteousness from unrighteousness. And so when the text says love believeth all things, it's not teaching us to be gullible, naive, and foolish. All things here does not refer to all things without exception. In the Bible it usually doesn't. But rather all things refers to all things that are consistent with truth and righteousness. All things that are agreeable to the will of God. So now, the meaning positively. Love believes all things. This means especially two things. First, love is disposed to trust. And secondly, love is disposed to believe the good about others and thus judge them charitably. Those are the two main ideas of love believeth all things. Love is disposed to trust the one you love. Love is trusting. And that makes sense. Think of a relationship in which there is no trust. Where there is suspicion. Harbored, say, by a husband and a wife against the other. Love's nowhere to be found in such a relationship. Love and trust go together. True love is a trusting thing. Just as true love is a protective thing. Love is disposed to trust. And part of that trusting nature of love then is that love is disposed to think the best of my neighbor, my brother. When it comes to making judgments about my neighbor or my brother's motives, his actions, love thinks the best. Love doesn't quickly jump to the worst possible conclusion. Love puts the best possible interpretation upon my neighbor's actions or motives. Unless compelled to the contrary by weighty evidence. And that's an important qualifier. When we say love always thinks the best. When we say love always judges charitably, that is true. But it does not mean charitable judgment throws truth aside. That doesn't mean we just put a positive spin on everything even if it's false. No, love rejoices not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. And that means in judgment we seek the truth. Our Heidelberg Catechism in explaining the Ninth Commandment, Lord's Day 43, puts it very, very well. There in Lord's Day 43, you can read this, that in judgment and in all other dealings, I love the truth. We seek the truth. But as we seek the truth, we judge charitably. We choose the best light in which to view my neighbor. I don't quickly jump to uncharitable conclusions or negative conclusions unless there is a firm basis in fact for doing so. And then when I do so, I don't treat them harshly 
or unkindly. I don't get to jettison the rest of the things that we've learned in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is long-suffering, love is kind, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. No, even as I am directed, pushed by evidence, to make judgment according to truth, that may be very negative about my neighbor, I do so still charitably, kindly. So we see then that love's trustful disposition is a beautiful part of the strength of love. And it's strong because it ultimately goes back to faith in God. True Christian love arises out of faith in God. And love is trusting ultimately because the believer trusts in God. That God is in control. That God is working all things for my good. And that even the evil that I face in this life He's using it for my good. In his way, he will make the crooked things, the crooked ways straight. Faith in God strengthens us and enables us to love one another with love that is trusting, yet not naive or foolish. So once again, let's make a few applications. In our relationships... Let us cultivate trust. So important. The health of a marriage, the health of a friendship, is in many ways measured by the level of trust you have. Now again, as we cultivate trust, that doesn't mean blind trust. We cultivate trust by conducting ourselves trustworthily toward one another in our relationships, being people of our word, being men and women of integrity who say what we mean and hold to our word, who do not hide things in a veil of secrecy from our spouse, but are open, are accountable, want that, cultivate trust. There you see again the important connection between love and trust. Where there is trust, love blossoms. And now there's a connection to the protectiveness of love. When love protects, that builds trust. There's an important thing to see for our marriages, for our relationships with our children, for our friendships, for our relationships in the body of Christ. When someone knows that you really care for them and that in love, you will protect them. You're not going to broadcast out there their faults or any juicy piece of information you learn about them. When someone knows that your love is protective, they're going to trust you. And they're going to open up to you. And they're going to be vulnerable to you. And when you... Know someone's love toward you is protective. That it is like a roof that covers a multitude of sins. That fends off what will hurt you. You're going to trust them and you're going to open up to them. You see how all of these ideas fit together. Protective love is trusting love. And as love protects and trusts, it feeds itself and it grows and it blossoms. And it brings forth fruit. 
Let us strive to build trust in our relationships and keep building trust. Jesus. It comes back to him, doesn't it? Maybe this isn't as clear as the way the first part of the text comes back to Jesus. But Jesus was the perfect man of trust, was he not? He trusted his father completely. And that was a significant dimension of his life of perfect obedience to his father. His life of perfect obedience, which is what accomplished our salvation. Think of one of the things that the Jewish leaders said as they scoffed at our Lord, as they mocked him at the foot of the cross. Matthew 27 verse 43 They said, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now. It was openly apparent even to those men that the life and ministry of Jesus was defined by this. He trusted in his God. That he did. That he did. And in that trust, he was unwavering. And because Christ's Love for his father was trusting love that did not waver. You are saved from your sins. Closely connected now to the trusting character of love is the third part of the text. Charity hopeth all things. We can see the connection, can we not? Trust and hope Go together. Hope is grounded upon trust. We hope in God because we trust him by faith. Love that trusts is a love that hopeth all things. Now, what does that mean? That love hopeth all things. You have to start with hope. What is hope? Hope is an earnest expectation. An earnest, that is a deep felt, convicted expectation. An anticipation for something. That's certain. Philippians 1 verse 20, Paul says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope. And that word and there isn't meant to link two different things. What what it's saying is, my earnest expectation, which is my hope. Hope is an earnest expectation. For what? For good, real, true good that is coming. And is certainly coming. Romans 5 verse 2 says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is the Christian hope summarized very succinctly. We have an earnest expectation of this coming good. The glory of God. And it's certainly coming. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's certain because that good that is coming is coming according to the promise of our faithful God and Father. The certainty of our hope is rooted in, grounded upon the character of our God. And there's trust again. As we love our God and trust in Him, we have hope in Him because we know He's faithful. He's unchanging. He keeps His word. And thus the Christian in hope joyfully anticipates and patiently waits for the glory of God which is the object of our hope. The glory of God which is, first of all, God's own glorification. As those who love the Lord 
by grace. Our deep desire is that our Heavenly Father be honored and glorified. But when Romans 5 verse 2 speaks of the glory of God, the focus is on the glory that we will share in, the glory of eternal life that comes to us from God, which shall be our inheritance. That's the object of our hope. That's the good that we've got coming because of what Jesus has done for us. Love hopeth all things. What does that mean then? It means this, that Christian love, in light of who God is and what God has promised, Christian love doesn't give up. Doesn't give up, but remains hopeful in the face of all things, all adversities, all troubles, all apparent setbacks, all the pains of this life. Christian love is a hopeful thing. Again, that hope is rooted in who God is. Rooted in his promises. Rooted in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us, which is the demonstration of God's goodwill toward us, his people. And that hope that characterizes our love of God then translates or is carried over into our love for our neighbor. Our love for one another is a hopeful Love. It's a love that has a positive outlook, and not in the foolish, optimistic sense, but has a positive outlook based on God's goodness and God's promises. It's a love that expects God to work in my life and in my neighbor's life and in my relationships with other people, and expects God to work good in those circles. Love is hopeful. Love is not despairing. Love is not indifferent. Love is not always down and out and in the dumps. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians never get sad. Or that Christians never get depressed. We know that. The Bible is full of examples. Job, David, many others. So nothing that is being said tonight is meant in any way to dismiss that reality. Because of the great pain that afflictions can bring upon a child of God, or a great struggle against sin, Christians do get down. The point is this, even when we're most down and out, that love, the Spirit has worked in our hearts, won't go out. The Spirit won't let it go out. And part of that true Christian love is that it is hopeful. There's something encouraging. Even at our darkest moments when we can't see hope anymore. It's not forever gone. We have hope because we have Christ. And we have the God of all hope. Supply it. That love hopeth all things means I don't give up on the people in my life. People that God has put in my life. In marriage, I don't give up on my spouse. Maybe we're going through hard times in our marriage right now. Maybe we have marriage problems. Maybe we've sinned against each other and we're in a tough spot. 
True love doesn't sink into indifference. True love doesn't throw in the towel and say, I've had it, I'm done with following God's word, I'm just going to do my own will now, and I'm going to seek happiness in my own way. But true love hopeth all things. True love that hopeth all things trusts in God and gets to work following the teachings of God's word, working at overcoming those problems, not because my strength is so great or because I'm going to do it of my own efforts, but I trust God. And I hope in God that he will supply the grace that we need. In parenthood, our work is hard at times and sometimes it seems as though our work doesn't have an effect. But love hopeth all things. Love commits my children into the hands of God. Though I do not know God's will and I do not know his eternal counsel, love hopeth all things. Laboring with a brother or a sister who has fallen into sin or is walking in sin. Don't just try once to reach out to them and turn them back and then give up. But love hopeth all things. Love doesn't give up. That's a word for office bearers in the church too. When office bearers labor hard to help a brother or a sister and it seems to be going nowhere, sometimes you want to give up. But love hopeth all things. Love hopeth all things. The unbelieving family member or the unbelieving neighbor that your heart desires to see come to Christ. Don't quickly give up on them. Love hopeth all things. Hope energizes the Christian life. Without hope we cannot live, but with hope we can endure all things. And that gets us to the last part of the text. But before that, Christ. Christ. Third part of the text points us again to Christ. Christ loved us with a love that hopeth all things. In love for his Father, in love for his people, Jesus performed his saving work with the earnest expectation of the coming good that was sure and certain. The coming good of your salvation and his exaltation. The fulfillment of the mother promise. The fulfillment of God's counsel of redemption. And in that love, Jesus' love that always hoped, he never gave up. Even in the darkest hours of his earthly life in ministry, he never gave up. He never turned from the path of suffering into dismay. Even in Gethsemane, Jesus did not lose hope. But in hope for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Even as he sank into the depths of hell, he loved us with a love that hopeth all things. And the earnest expectation of Christ is accomplished because he hoped you have an unshakable hope. Following from that hope, then, 
is endurance. Endurance. Love protects. Love builds trust. And based on that trust, love hopes. And when you hope, you're enabled to endure. Hope for future good strengthens us to endure present adversity. And that's where verse 7 ends. Love endureth all things. And the idea of this last part of the text is this. Love perseveres through everything. And the portrait of love comes full circle, does it not? Beginning in verse 4 with love suffereth long. Love is patient. It ends where it started. Love perseveres, endures. It's another way of saying love is long-suffering. Love is patient. Now, these two words are different words. In verse 4, the emphasis is on patience towards other people. In the end of verse 7, the emphasis is on patience, especially towards those afflictions that are laid upon us. They might come from other people, but often they come from circumstances or things that happen in our life according to the sovereign providence of God. Love perseveres. Patiently bears up under whatever affliction God gives me. Cheerfully submits to him and goes forward trusting and hoping in him whose will is only good. What strength Christian love has. Shows that Christian love is not anything of human making. It only comes from God. Because the afflictions, the hardships of this life would smash anything else to pieces. The beautiful thing is, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. When God afflicts, he uses it to strengthen the love he has worked in our hearts. He uses affliction to draw us closer to him. To loosen our ties and our interest in the things of this world and lift our eyes up to him. He uses those afflictions to bring us to our knees before him. Sometimes we need that. To cause us to depend upon him as our father once again. And in that, he strengthens the love he has put in our hearts. And that resonates with experience, does it not? It doesn't mean afflictions are nice. It doesn't mean we want them. It doesn't mean that they're a pleasant experience. But how many of us can say, looking back on an affliction the Lord gave me, that God gave that to me in his love. He used it to strengthen my love for him and to strengthen my love For God's people, or my spouse, or my children. Though it hurt so much, it was good that we as a family went through that, because it brought us together. Whereas affliction might scatter unbelieving people and drive them apart for the believer. Love is strong and perseveres. And that brings us back to Christ, doesn't it? That's Christ's, that's Christ's love for us. 
If anyone in love endured all things and persevered through all things, it is Jesus Christ who forsook his heavenly abode and all of the glory, the riches, the privileges there and became incarnate as we saw this morning. And becoming incarnate, he entered into humiliation, he entered into poverty, he entered into sickness, he entered into all of the brokenness of our fallen world. He suffered contradiction of sinners. He suffered reproach. And all of that paled in comparison to the suffering that came with being our sin bearer. Carrying for us the load of guilt and bearing the punishment that our sin deserved. And putting it away from us. And yet he endured all of that. For his beloved bride, the church. There is Jesus' love. He gave himself to that for her. And he persevered through it all. In Jesus we see love that endures all things. And now as Christians, with a love fashioned after his love that's kindled in our hearts, We have a strong love. Love for God and for one another. We're called to endure all things. Apply that to our relationships. When we go through hard times. We don't turn against each other. We must not turn against each other. But endure and persevere together. Trusting in Christ. Hoping in Christ. Love perseveres. It's a question so often asked in our day. What is true love? What does true love look like? How does it act? How does it behave? How can you know it when you see it? Here it is. Charity beareth all things, is protective, believeth all things, trusts. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Amen. We thank the Heavenly Father for this amazing love of Christ towards us. Love that has saved. Love that has given us all. Now as thy people, what a privilege it is. To be given this spiritual gift, this fruit of the Spirit, love. Grant that our love for one another may look like the portrait thou hast painted upon the pages, Holy Scripture. Grant it by thy grace and by thy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen.